This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Here you are hiring somebody for call it $14 or $15 an hour for an entry-level position. That person has spent 90 minutes on a bus to show up to work. They're worried about the rent payment next month. And the benefit you offer them is a 401k that they might be able to tap into when they're in their 60s. It's not a relevant benefit. Healthcare lessons from unconventional sources today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto. On today's episode, our president and CEO, Joe Pfeiffer, is interviewing the first of two speakers from our upcoming Revenue Cycle Conference. Joe DeLoss is a social entrepreneur and restaurateur who will be talking about what the healthcare industry can learn from other industries. His approach is so interesting, and I think there's a lot here for our audience. So without further ado, here are Joe and Joe. Well, my guest today is a unique addition to our podcast. Joe DeLoss is a social entrepreneur whose latest venture, Hot Chicken Takeover, is taking over the Midwest with fried chicken plus a community spirit. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Currently, Joe is the owner of six hot chicken takeover locations in Ohio, but he actually began his career in the finance world as an investment bank analyst. His passions for entrepreneurship and community impact then guided him to create an unconventional workforce and HR strategy. And those are the kinds of things we're going to get into in a few minutes here. He's actually going to be a keynote speaker at HFMA's upcoming Revenue Cycle Conference. And I'm just really excited to talk with him today about what the healthcare industry can learn from what he's doing in in a different industry. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you so much, Joe. I'm really excited to talk. Yeah, and I will not forget your name today, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So for listeners who might not be familiar with you and what your work is, or maybe even wondering why we're talking about fried chicken on a healthcare podcast, can you just give us a little background and talk about some of the unique things you do in your business? Yeah, it is a little unconventional to have a, a fried chicken entrepreneur on a healthcare podcast, but I promise there are connection points. And so really forest from the trees to, to just introduce myself a little bit more. More than anything, I'm an entrepreneur that has been from a really young age, just deeply interested in, in imagining ways to do business and imagining ways to engage customers and employees in different ways. And in that passion for entrepreneurship for me was also paralleled with a, a passion for community service and impact through much of my life. Hmm. And um, somewhere along the way, I had a great mentor that told me there's a name for this. It's called social entrepreneurship or social enterprise. And I became kind of a student of the discipline and the combination of those two passions of mine are really what lead me to this current adventure I'm on, which is that in 2014, I started a 
fried chicken business called Hot Chicken Takeover in my living room with my wife and taste testing with friends and it was a heck of an adventure. But that business has grown really substantially since then. And so we have six locations right now in the Midwest, in Columbus, Ohio, and Cleveland, Ohio, and we're kicking off some rapid expansion. But ultimately, we are serving a delicious kind of fried chicken, hospitality-forward environment alongside of engaging a really unique workforce. And and so we talk about what we do as a, a fair chance employer, which means we're willing to give a fair chance to all of those that apply for our jobs. The majority of men and women uh, that have joined our team have been affected by a lot of adversity in their life, ranging from incarceration to addiction to homelessness uh, to being a survivor of human trafficking. And you know, it's with kind of a lens towards supportive and transformational work practices that we're able to empower our team for ultimately a lot of personal success but alongside a lot of professional success. And so hopefully by way of introduction, when you think about this broader labor crisis, this broader opportunity in the workforce to engage people differently and support people differently, you know, we're doing that in our own little lane of the fast casual food industry. Wow, it just sounds so fascinating. And of course, I had a couple of questions in mind before we ended in here. Of course, about 10 more popped into my head as you were describing mm-hmm. that. But just first of all, let me just congratulate you on that combination of entrepreneurship and doing social good. It's the old saying, if more of us did that, wouldn't it be a better place to live? So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I'm, one of the things I'm thinking about here is, you know, the healthcare and the restaurant industry, one of the things they have in common, especially right now, and you just alluded to it, is staff burnout. Mm-hmm. We've heard stories in both industries about overworked staff dealing with customers or in our case, patients who are stressed. I've heard these stories firsthand from frontline workers about how stressful it is. I mean, it was already a stressful environment and the pandemic made it extraordinarily worse. And of course, the economics in the employment world today are very odd. So again, lots of similarities, large rates of turnovers. We're talking about workers who pay isn't very high. I mean, you could go on and on about some of the similarities. So Mm -hmm. what are some ways you've addressed these issues that we're all dealing with in order to keep your staff working for you and feeling good about coming into work every day. When I think about those comparisons, you know, there's a lot of novelty about our story and the hot chicken takeover story because of who we hire. But the more important question is, of course, how. And and I think how is where we start to see a lot more parallels with the work we do together, which so if we, if we kind of take away the, the novelty of who, what we're talking about are a lot of entry-level jobs that are ripe with high turnover, burnout, you name it, highly competitive wage rates right now, mm-hmm. a lot of downward pressure. And the reality is, especially when you think about an entry-level employee or the candidates for those types of jobs, they're generally people out in our community that have been up against some adversity whether it's professional education opportunities, whether it's food security, housing security, you name it. It's that instability, that personal instability that ultimately becomes professional instability. And so when you think about people citing turnover because of attendance, because of transportation, childcare issues, et cetera, those are all symptoms of the instability out in our community, kind of in my mind. And so as an employer, Our orientation is how do we make investments in somebody's personal stability 
and professionally reap the benefit from that. And so there are a lot of mechanisms we can talk about ultimately that are ways that we we do that. But really at a high level, our orientation is just to meet our team where they're at and to think about those employee benefits and support systems in ways that are more relevant to somebody that's trying to build a foundation for their life and some upward trajectory in their career. And um, when you can deliver on that as an employer, you're going to buy yourself a lot of loyalty, a lot of investment, just so people know that there's proof in the pudding that we sell is in our industry, we're looking at turnover rates anywhere from 120 to 150% a year. It's just generally accepted that that's what you do in our industry. Our turnover rates on an annual basis are around 40%. Oh, wow. And so depending on the statistic you pick, our business practice has yielded usually a three X return over industry on, on turnover rates. And when you think about continuity of service to ultimately our fried chicken guest or ultimately your patient continuity of service guest experience starts going through the roof. When you have that kind of tenure of team member that are able to foster relationships with people in a different way. That, you know, actually, I wrote down the word loyalty as you were describing what you were doing. And, and then my thought was, well, loyalty can be a dangerous word because if you demand loyalty, it's really not loyalty. But if you enhance that environment where you welcome loyalty and then you reap those benefits, that's really the difference. So let's shift a little bit away from you know, employer employee relationship side to you know, the customer side. And, and in our case, we start talking about our revenue cycle. And that's another, in a way, a common area with the restaurant industry, and that's customer service. And honestly, I think we as an industry, we have a long way to go. That's why I'm so interested in learning from you. You know, we always want patients to have an excellent clinical experience, but, you know, the revenue cycle folks are oftentimes, you know, they're the front door, they're the first experience, but also the last point of contact in terms of subsequent billing and all those kinds of things. And, you know, a bad customer experience can ruin a good clinical experience, just like a bad customer experience could ruin mm-hmm. a good piece of fried chicken, right? So in your experience, how can workers who feel satisfied, they feel loyal, like you talked about, uh, and valued, how can they contribute to a better experience for the people that they're serving, turning it outward to the customer? I think there are a lot of parallels here for what we're, we're talking about. And you know, ultimately, we are serving a different product to our end user than you are in so many ways. But we have seen that the type of investment we make in our team members automatically converts to an investment in our guests. And the hospitality that our team delivers is really a representation in my mind of the hospitality we have delivered to them. And so the reality is you're in a complicated industry with a complicated process and and a lot of patients who are you know, up against kind of a learning curve to understand the system that you play in and your, your members play in day in and day out. You know, I think as we've seen that investment in our team members translate to an investment in our guests, that the way that really plays out are you start to see people that start forming trust with us as a brand. Mm. And, and that has nothing to do with our, this kind of, mission that has some novelty prescribed to it, but it's really about building a a series of encounters with somebody that are consistent, 
from person to person, from restaurant to restaurant, from experience to experience that are commiserate with similar feelings of, oh, I'm starting to trust that I get, you know, the same thing every time I come here. And it can be delivered from different people. And I I, I think that continuity goes a long way. And I, I have to imagine, particularly in your instance, where you're likely encountering some patients that are in times of stress associated with their intervention with you, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. If you and, and your teams can start standing up as trusted resources that are delivering hospitality in a way that feels secure and stable and not combative, mm-hmm. um, man, that goes a long way. And it sounds like, you know, to your own credit, you've been carrying that torch for a while of there's an opportunity here to differentiate our level of service. And, and we've definitely seen that play out in our environment because similarly, the bar for quality of service in the food industry, especially right now, is categorically low. And we have a lot of KPIs associated with the way we deliver on guest service and satisfaction to ensure that our teams are out there on the front line, really waving that flag every, every day they can. It's interesting. We went to brunch yesterday with my brother-in-law and his wife and our waitress. She was awesome. I mean, you know, the food was great. We went to a place where the food was, but she joked with us. We had a lot of laughs at the time. We ended the time she learned that our family members that were from out of town. So she's, oh, you have eaten here and you have eaten there. And she ran a lot, three or four restaurants that she recommended. And I got to tell you, we were walking to the car and my brother-in-law and his wife, they both said, we should find out when she's working and we'll go back there when she's working. I mean, it was a good example. The food was the food. It's the same that we've always did at this restaurant. Yeah. But they wanted to go back to see her. And that's a good example of that customer experience that goes beyond just the product that we're buying. And I think the same thing does apply to healthcare. You're right. There, almost all patients are there in times of incredible stress. And what they're really looking for is somebody to hold their hand and walk them through, figuratively, of course, walk them through the revenue cycle mm-hmm. process. I think there's terrific similarities there, even though the service itself is very, very different. You mentioned investment in staff several times, and I know that you have a unique environment with hiring people with their own you know, difficult circumstances, but you also offer some unique benefits geared toward meeting some of those unique challenges that they face. But some of these are challenges that we all face, like flexible schedules and counseling and other kinds mm-hmm. of things. And in this type employment market, we have to keep thinking about those things that add to culture to create an environment where people want to work. So as you think about, again, the similarities, are there lessons here for the healthcare industry from what you've done that you, that you would think might apply? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a, a couple kind of milestones I'd share in regards to that. And and I'll, I'll save kind of some conversation on those benefits as well. But So if I think about the four so pillars of hot chicken takeover and and the culture we fostered, one of those is about really delivering a set of clear expectations and pathways for team members. And and especially when you're looking at kind of an entry-level workforce, there aren't many people in that candidate pool that could really point to any positive work experience they've had in their life. Mm. Um, Oftentimes, you know, they'll talk about, Ah, my manager didn't tell me what to do to get promoted, or I didn't get training and development. I, you know, had this run-in with a. Pl- I mean, you can mm-hmm. you can think of the list that leads to turnover. And so we take a really objective, clear approach 
to preparing people for their advancement. And we put that in their hands as a roadmap, which is to say that your opportunity to grow here is really up to you. And this is what it looks like. And so the objectivity there is really empowering. And it also takes pressure off your managers, frankly. And, and so I, I think that's kind of a pillar of supportive employment that can make a big difference and start to develop an experience that is different than what, what folks are used to. You know, the second is not only can you just tell people what you expect of them, but you got to give them really frequent feedback. You know, most people, and, and you know, you could ask this question about yourself and, and, and your members. Most people are giving annual performance reviews, if anything, to team members in terms of performance feedback. When you're looking at turnover that's upwards of 100% a year, right. they're not even going to make it right. to the first performance <laughs> review. Exactly. So what are you doing? And you're definitely not doing many performance reviews. And, and so what we do is we take a 90-day snapshot of performance and are giving people feedback every 90 days, both based on their job performance, but also their performance as a member of the team based on our company values. And so that makes, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. The third thing to share is really around benefits. And we talked about this, I kind of indicated this earlier in the conversation, but benefits have to be hyper relevant and aligned to where somebody's at in their life. And so here you are hiring somebody for call it 14 or $15 an hour for an entry level position. That person has spent 90 minutes on a bus to show up to work. They're worried about the rent payment next month. And the benefit you offer them is a 401k that they might be able to tap into when they're in their 60s. It's not a relevant benefit. It's, it's not relevant to where somebody's at because they're not at a point in their life where they're in a position to have the privilege of doing long-term planning. Mm-hmm. We do have 401ks, but we also have short-term match savings programs. And so if you're investing in education or a healthcare expense or a child expense or a transportation expense, we will match a certain amount of money one-to-one every year that you invest in that, which also means that we get to be part of a lot of first apartments, first cars, mm-hmm. other things like that mm-hmm. that go a long way. And so those benefits, that idea of relevant benefits is something you can apply on a broader level too. And so we have financial literacy programs, professional development and advancement programs, but you have to take off your hat of being used to providing benefits to a whole bunch of uh, white collar or white jacket type positions mm-hmm. and think about what's more relevant to, to the folks you're hiring. Paid time off, parental leave, a lot of meaningful opportunities like that. And, and so all of those things for us wrap up in this last bucket. We talk about having a dish tank culture. And so regardless of who you are on our team, whether you're an externally hired COO or a new crew member that just joined one of our restaurants, you're going to start by doing a week's worth of dishes in our restaurant. And I still, you know, all of our office staff still take dish shifts every three months and get out there. And it's, it's an opportunity to try to foster an environment that demonstrates that every position on this floor has value. And I think in particular in the healthcare environment where you have a very hierarchical, whether it's through education or position or compensation, how do you start demonstrating the dignity of every job mm-hmm. in, in a meaningful way? And, and we, we try to do that in a very simple way through a very simple position, which are doing dishes. But that also means that there are a couple days a year where I'm paying a COO, a C-level executive salary, 
to um, get his arms wet yeah. in a dish tank. I love it. But the, the the cultural implications of that are 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 pretty tremendous. I just I love that idea. You know, I did a fair amount of, and I I wish I'd have done more, but I did a fair amount of uh, shadowing and rounding with uh, like our nursing executive or mm-hmm. you know i went to the or and or radiology and just various departments and gosh i mean i always learned a ton you know some of those those positions you wouldn't want me to be in nursing you know technically like washing dishes but if you're right there with the nurses and you're asking them sincerely you know what's it like and they take you into patient rooms and have patient conversations yeah it was a tremendous learning environment for me but it also sent this huge message to the nursing staff or the rad techs or the OR team that I cared about what was going on. So as a finance person, maybe that's a good corollary for our members is, is uh, and I used to joke with our chief nursing executive, but I'd ask her, I need you to hold my hand as we walk through these patient units because I felt like a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Um, but she made it easy for me by introducing me, explaining things, and I didn't make me feel like a dummy, you know, when I was up totally out of my element. So maybe that's the healthcare corollary to to some of this. Yeah. yeah so anyway, that it sounds like part of the value is just asking and and dignifying the dialogue because it's really empowering to say, you have something to teach me yep. and not just, I am here to descend upon you no. policies and provisions. And so it does, I think the parallel is really just about holding space to have a productive dialogue and learn from one another and, and foster some trust. And, yeah, and the word I would throw to add on to that is with sincerity. You know, it's not mm-hmm. one where you're checking mm-hmm. a box just saying, Hey, I'm here because I'm cool. And I'm, you know, trying to mingle with the minions. No, this is a sincere interest about what happens frontline. And I think that's a really powerful thing. And it's getting harder and harder, I think, for people to do those kinds of things because it's, you know, life gets busy, busier in the the professional world. But you've just demonstrated how important it is. And I, I love the corollary to healthcare. So, well, gosh, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you spending time with me today. Um, I've learned a little bit in this conversation, which is great. I'll learn more at the Revenue Cycle Conference. Look forward to you presenting there. And so thank you for spending time with me today here, Joe. Yeah, thank you so much, Joe. I'm excited to continue our dialogue here soon. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Please sign up for our Revenue Cycle Conference in New Orleans. You can hear more from Joe DeLoss as well as some other great speakers. You can register by going to hfma.org and clicking on Education and Events. And if you have any questions or comments for me or any other member of our podcast team, let us know. You can reach us at podcast at hfma.org.